Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and it helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's this week's message with Pastor Sharam Hadian. Good morning, Rock Harbor. Uh, what a blessing it is to, to be back with you this morning. Um, wow, uh, yeah, watching uh, the, the Prophecy Update, uh, there's so much going on, right? Uh, it's an amazing time. It's exciting to be alive, but it's also very sobering. Uh, as Pastor Brandon is not here in the pulpit this morning, I'm honored to be back with you guys to cover for him and to be able to hopefully bring further truth. So uh, before we go any further, uh, let's pray. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for uh, uh, the privilege it is to worship with your people and to gather and assemble. Uh, Father, we just seek your continued presence. We seek your, um, your anointing and your wisdom here as, as, as we uh, delve into the word this morning and into the truth of the word of God. May you use it to sharpen us, uh, to um, give us uh, a great wisdom and discernment and, and your knowledge that it would uh, apply to our lives, Lord God. We wanna live out the word, not just hear and receive, but to live out the word of God uh, so that we can present you to this uh, lost uh, and dying world. We bless you, we love you, Lord God, and continue to just, uh, again, uh, be with us with your presence, uh, all for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, as I was praying about what to share this morning, uh, uh, tonight, as Pastor said, we're gonna be having a, another presentation uh, that is titled uh, The Great Pushback Part Two. I did that last month when I was here. Tonight, we're gonna be doing part two, so if you're able to be with us at six o'clock tonight, we'll be doing that presentation. And also, we're gonna have a lot of information uh, about uh, the marketplace and the committees that Rock Harbor is working to, to set up here for you guys to prepare for the days ahead. But one of the things that has been on my heart uh, very much in the last number of months is this question that you see on your screen. Is there justice in the land? Now, why do I ask this question? Why is this so important to be able to, uh, um, to discern uh, the issue of justice? Because you're gonna see this morning that our God is a just God, amen? Our God is a just God. But we have to know what kind of justice to stand up for. Because today there are those in the church who will say that they're standing for justice. And so we're gonna uh, classify the difference between biblical justice and what many are calling social justice. Before I do that, uh, just very quickly about our ministry. If you wanna be connected with us, uh, tillproject.com is our, is our website. I have cards on the table back there. Come and see us. And we have lots of information on the website, including the fact that we have our new shows that we do every Thursday night. I'm grateful that some of you are joining us uh, when you're able to Thursday night, live at eight o'clock Eastern, five o'clock your time here, Pacific time. If you can't watch live, we archive the shows very quickly on the same page on our website, just further down the page. So please check that out where we are going to be truth tellers. Uh, our ministry, of course, is truth in love, and we're going to speak the truth in love because how many, how many of us recognize we need the truth desperately uh, today? So uh, join us for, for that program. But uh, why is justice so important? Because the Bible has told us that as we get closer and closer to the end times and the days of the tribulation, which uh, if you're like me, you're going, whoa, we're getting pretty close. Um, you know that the Bible says there's gonna be a spirit of lawlessness. And as lawlessness increases, 
the love of the truth grows cold and so therefore people are led to deception. So part of preparing the end time church is to make sure that we do not navigate away from the foundation of who God is, what his word is about and what we are to stand for as believers. The Bible has told us that many things are gonna happen. The spirit of lawlessness will happen. A great falling away will happen. The enemy will set up his system for a short time. We know these things are going to happen, yet we are not to participate in any of those things. We are to actually carry forth an opposite spirit. So as we talk about justice in the land, I'm going to look today at some biblical examples from the Old Testament of the condition of the nation. You know, we live in America. We're here in this nation. Now, there's much happening around the world. You saw in the prophecy update this morning, much happening around the world that applies to Bible prophecy. But here in America, the question is, what is the condition of our nation? Is there justice in our land? And how does that uh, relate to what, uh, what hour we are in for America? You know, are, are, we, are we on the brink of, of a collapse? Are we uh, have many, many, many more years still to go? So that's a good question, right? So uh, when I start talking about justice, I want to make sure that I, that I address this before it gets lost in the rest of the message. And that is that, Justice begins with the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ that saved me 23 years ago from a Muslim background, brought me to Christ, is all about God's justice. People say, well, the gospel is all about God's love. Well, that's true too. Both are true, right? Because God deals, his word is two-edged, right? It's a double-edged sword on one side is his love on one side is his grace his mercy but on the other side is his justice because he's a righteous god he's a holy god god loves us he wants us all to be in relationship with him amen but you can't just be a good person and be in relationship with him you can't just be pious and say, well, that alone brings me to, to relationship with God as many believe today in the world. Many Christians, professing Christians in America believe that you can, you can just be a good person and be right with God and go to heaven. God's word has told us that it is his justice that drove him to the cross. It is his justice that brought his son. Yes, God loves us, but even in his love, he still had to be a just God. Because without the atoning work of Jesus Christ upon the cross as the perfect Lamb of God, there would be no salvation for us. There'd be no way. So salvation is the beginning of God's justice in our lives. The moment that you decide to lay your life down and say, I surrender to Christ, that is the beginning of the work of justice and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, amen? And then every day, we're supposed to get up and crucify our flesh. Hang on to that. We're supposed to crucify our flesh and walk by the Spirit and allow God's word, allow God's justice to impact our lives so that we become holy and living sacrifices. You'll see that the church today as a whole is the complete opposite of that. 
So again, the question is, is there justice in the land? Now, when you look at beyond the aspect of salvation, when you look at now outwardly what's going on in America, you would say, well, you know, there, there hasn't been any sign of justice because we, it seems like the criminals are getting away with everything and the good guys uh, are getting in trouble. So could there be a tide turning? We, of course, saw that with Roe v. Wade. The overturning of Roe v. Wade, 49 and a half years where we, people have been praying for this, for this uh, uh, completely immoral, ungodly, unconstitutional decision. And it was a monumental moment where perhaps, perhaps there was a semblance, there was just a glimmer, glimmer of, 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 of justice where now this issue comes back to the state's and there is now a chance to be able to save some more babies and to be able to push back against this evil. We saw Supreme Court decisions recently in New York regarding the Second Amendment. We saw Supreme Court decisions with the coach, I, I know him personally when I lived in Washington State, who prayed at, uh, you know, by himself after football games, and the Supreme Court said that's absolutely permissible even though he's been fighting that battle for a number of years. So we've seen a few of these glimpses. And yet, when Roe v. Wade happened, the monumental, generational, think about this, this is a generational decision that many thought would never happen. What do we see from the church? What do we see from the church? Silence. Or condemnation. Silence or condemnation. Because now they're not going to stand for biblical justice. We saw churches that, and, and Christian leaders that said, oh, we ought to not gloat. This is not gloating, it's rejoicing. We're rejoicing that if evil gets pushed back in any way, shape, or form, we rejoice. So we're gonna address that. We're gonna look at justice in the land. Biblical justice the very foundation of biblical justice is eternally minded. As I said, the very first aspect of God's justice is the gospel, is sending his son to pay the price that you and I can never pay because there was and is a demand for sin. There is a price to be paid for our sin. Amen? And he paid the price. Amen? Praise God because we can never pay the price. We are created in the image of God. And therefore, biblical justice has always an eternal perspective. Contrast that with social justice. What is social justice? Social justice is justice that is imposed by the self. It is where man decides that something is of greater value or worth or right or wrong not based on God's word, but based on the flesh, based on self. What the self decides is just. And social justice is always temporal. It's not eternally based. That's why many in the church today don't even preach the gospel. They preach a social gospel. The social gospel is where God is okay with Whatever you are, whoever you are, whatever you've done, and you know, after all, 
we don't want to be dogmatic about Jesus is the only way to heaven. You know, let's be loving and caring and say maybe many ways go to heaven. After all, that's our version of justice. So we're going to contrast this this morning for you because I have to show you and expose you to the woke church. What is the woke church? The woke church is a church that is promoting social justice. The woke church is not a church that is promoting and standing for biblical justice, but social justice and a social gospel, not the true gospel. The very first question when we talk about justice is whose standard of justice? Whose standard? You know, I just had a presentation uh, last week at Patriot Church in Knoxville called Woe to Those Who Call Good Evil and Evil Good, Isaiah 5, 2021. Well, whose standard of good are we looking at? Whose standard of justice should we look at? Do I get to determine what is just? Or ought my standard be what? The word of God. Starting all the way back in the Old Testament with the Ten Commandments. God gave us a moral law. By the way, the Ten Commandments have not been nullified. Unlike what many pastors teach today that you know we're unhitched from the Ten Commandments. We don't even bother reading the Old Testament anymore. Jesus came to fulfill, well, actually some say Jesus came to abolish the law. Talk about literally twisting scripture. But Jesus came to fulfill the law. Yes, he came to fulfill the ceremonial law, the religious law, the civil law. Did Jesus fulfill and do away with the moral law? He did fulfill the moral law, but he didn't do away with the moral law. Are the Ten Commandments still not valid? Is it okay for you to murder now? Is it okay for you to steal, covet, commit adultery? No, because those laws are still there. Now, you go with Sharam, what about the New Testament? New Testament just says there's only two commandments, right? Yes. What are those two commandments in the New Testament, Matthew 22? Well, the first one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. This is the great and foremost commandment. A social justice, here, here's a good clue of a social justice church. You ready? The moment you hear, it's all about loving our neighbor, bingo. Bells and whistles ought to be going off. Social justice woke church. Because what they have done is they have forsaken the first commandment because if the first commandment, the greatest and foremost commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And Jesus, if you love me, obey my commands. But they'll say, well, the set, we, we follow the love your neighbor. That's all we follow. You know, if we just love our neighbor as we love ourselves, everything will be great. No, everything is not great. Because it says the second is like it. Like it. Like what? Like the first commandment, to love your neighbor as you love yourself, which of course was an admonition first and foremost given to the church, not to the lost. So this is where we're at, is that we are now forsaking a biblical commandment of where our source of justice comes from for a socially guided, self-guided, flesh-guided version of justice and it's all about love your neighbor as you love yourself. And if you're gonna love your neighbor, then to be loving, you gotta let your neighbor do whatever they wanna do. If your neighbor wants to pretend to dress up like a, girl, like a girl 
and uh, have one of the highest positions in the United States government, like Mr. Brighton, who's got a cue you saw on the thing, then hey, that's love. I mean, if that's the, if, if Andy Stanley, Pastor Andy Stanley says that we now follow one commandment, that's what he said. We unhitch from the Old Testament, we unhitch from the Ten Commandments, we follow one commandment. I thought there was two commandments. So you see how we're, where we're going. So let's look at some examples of this biblical justice versus social justice. Let's go back to the Old Testament. The Bible is very clear in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that as a Christ follower, I am not only to believe, but I'm to carry out. I'm actually to live out justice in the land. Now, I don't have time to go through those verses, but if you want to look up those verses yourself, they're on the screen there. But these are verses that talk about that we are to live out justice in the land. You know, why should churches even talk about social issues? Why should church, churches talk about Roe v. Wade or what's going on in America or in our city, in our community? Because we are called to carry out justice in the land. You see what I'm talking about? So this is not just a conversation that is had within the church or a Bible study. We're to actually stand for that justice in our land. And when justice prevails in the land, we rejoice. And when justice doesn't prevail in the land, we mourn, we grieve. So let's look at the nature. Remember I said that the source of justice is who? God, he's the source. The word is the source of God, the source of justice. So justice is imparted to us by our creator. Here is the book of uh, uh, chapter 32 in the book of Deuteronomy. For I proclaim in the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. And all his ways are justice. Let me say that one more time. All his ways are justice. Everything God does is just. Some of you aren't buying this yet. Everything God does is just. Even the separation of an unbeliever at the day of judgment. Even the separation where at the day of judgment when that unbeliever refused to accept Christ, refuses to surrender to, to Christ, even that separation where their choice causes the separation is just. So his work is perfect, all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice. He is incapable of injustice. Righteous and upright is he. So this is the foundation. This is our creator. This is what we're standing on. This is the father in heaven. This is the son of God. This is the Holy Spirit. This is what we stand on. Therefore, we have no business negotiating justice. Let me say that one more time. We have no business negotiating, gambling with justice. Was that, was that the Lord speaking? What was that? Does that make sense? So we have to understand that we are, is that feedback we're picking up? I think we have to understand that 
This is his foundation. Here's another foundation. Here's another truth. That justice is so important to God, it's the foundation of his throne. Whoa, that takes it to another level. Psalm 89, 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. You notice it says mercy and truth. There's that double-edged sword. Jesus came in the fullness of grace. He came in the fullness of truth. Mercy and truth. Mercy, love, grace, truth, justice, righteousness are all part of God's character. You cannot separate one from the other. They must go together. And we as his followers, as his children, must lift them up and live them out together. A perfect example is a parent. As a parent, if you have no justice in your home, you have no order in your home. I'm a dad of six. There are days where, and moments where it seems like order has completely evacuated our house. Where you go, ah! But then you have to try to bring it back and sit everybody down and have a conversation about how, okay, we are going to have some order in our home. We're going to have justice. We're going to have discipline. We're going to have order. We're going to be listening to mom and dad. We're not going to go nuts because that's what God calls us to do. At the same time, I can love my children. I can be merciful to them, graceful to them, encourage them, right? But it does not mean that I do one without the other. Amen? So justice is so important to God, the foundation of his throne is built upon it. So again, can he negotiate? Can he give in? Can he compromise his own justice? Never. It's his foundation. If he does that, there is no foundation. His throne would collapse. Just like if your foundation of your house was corrupted, it will collapse. And this is what happened in the Old Testament. As a nation, we have to look no further than the example of Israel in the Old Testament because we see the fact that the prophets of God were warning the land, the nation, about injustice and lawlessness. They were warning. They were telling them, listen, God demands justice. He demands justice. And we ought to demand justice. Let me say that one more time. We ought to demand justice because God demands justice. He demands it. He instructs us to to stand up for it. Isaiah 59. The prophet Isaiah who was called to the nation of Israel. Isaiah was told by the Lord that the land, the people are now corrupt. The northern kingdom is now corrupted, right? Right? So now they're about to be judged because of their lack of justice. Look at what the the passage says here. Why are they in the mess they are in? Because no one calls for justice. You see that? God is seeking to find somebody in the land that is crying out and demanding justice. Biblical justice. His justice. No one calls it out nor does any plead for the truth. Pleading, you're pleading, you're arguing, you're reasoning for the truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies that conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. 
Now, can you apply that to America in 2022? Is that, is that still me or? I think we're getting some feedback. I think that's probably what's going on. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, no, no, that's fine. So this is the condition, right? So again, you understand, this is their condition. And I think we can apply that to America. Is that our condition? That's why I'm asking the question, is there truly any justice left in the land? Because the voices, the lack of voices, particularly from the church, calling out, crying out for biblical justice, pleading for truth, is waning. It's a remnant. Therefore, that's part of the, 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 the evidence of the condition of our nation. And what happened to Israel? They ceased to exist. God had to judge them. God had to bring other nations against them. And they ceased to exist. Same thing with Jeremiah. Now we go to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is called partially to the northern kingdom, but now Jeremiah as a prophet is called to the southern kingdom as the north and the south have divided now. And in 722, remember Israel fell. Now God has given Judah, the southern kingdom, more time. He gives them an extra uh, 146 years because there were those in the land. Listen, listen, please. There were those in the land who were crying out for justice. And God raised up the people. And then as a result of the people, God raised up the leaders who would then actually exact justice, turn the land back to justice. And as you, if you, if you under, understand and read the pattern, what happened is that that revival, that awakening in that revival was waves. Some better, some worse, some better, some worse, but it bought them time. So tonight when I talk about the great pushback, if we want a great pushback, I believe that justice is gonna be a huge part of our cry out to the Lord. Because if we do not cry out for justice in America, we will not get more time in America. If there's a prophetic word that I'm bringing for you today, I'm not talking about a prophet, I'm talking from an application from scripture. If there's a prophetic word that just like the prophets of old that I would bring you today is that. If we as a church do not cry out for justice, starting with the gospel, that's why I started with that. Starting with the gospel. The church has gotta be bold in declaring Jesus is the only way, the only hope, the only name by which any person can be saved. You compromise that, you might as well just pack up and go home. America's done. But if there's any chance for us to push back and buy more time, I believe justice and our cry for justice have to be linked. Jeremiah then calls, uh, the Lord speaks to Jeremiah, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. That is a perfect example, the difference between biblical justice and social justice. Social justice is our own cisterns. We dig our own cisterns, we, 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 we find our own way, but it cannot hold any water rather than crying out for biblical justice. Here later in Jeremiah 2, thus says the Lord, 
execute judgment and righteousness and deliver the plundered out of the hand of the oppressors. Do no wrong and do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless or the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Why would we celebrate the overturning of Roe v. Wade? Because any chance to shed less innocent blood in America should be rejoiced. And every pulpit in America should have been speaking about it the Sunday after saying, we, whatever your view is, we rejoice today that there is a little bit more justice in America than there was yesterday or two days ago or whatever. And yet the majority of the pulpits were either silent or they came out ostracizing those of us who were rejoicing by claiming, you're gonna see an example of that, by claiming that we were uh, gloating. Here we go also in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is now around 605 to 586. So Habakkuk is sent now to latter-day Judah. Judah is now at the point where they have now wandered and they have now rejected God and they are now turning on God and now God is about to judge them. He's about to... Uh, uh, bring warning after warning about the Babylonians coming to take them captive. Therefore, the prophet says, the law is powerless for us. The law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. You want to know why perverse judgment proceeds? You want to know why we we have such perverse laws here in the state of California or in this country? Because you guys here, right, in California, they want to now codify the murdering of children after birth into your state constitution. They want it to be a constitutional amendment. It's not bad enough that it's a law. Let's make it part of our foundational constitutional uh, principles in the state of California. Same with Washington State and Oregon. They, they, they all love to go together, this, this, this uh, leftist coast here. Remember, I lived in Washington for many, many years. So why do you have perverse judgment? Because the wicked surround the righteous and the righteous aren't crying out for justice. So let's look at some of the signs of the times. When Jesus was asked, Lord, what are the signs of your coming and the signs of the end of the age? I would ask you this morning, what are some signs that we are teetering on whether there is justice in our land or not? Here we go. We have, of course, social justice says, social justice says God is okay with whatever your uh, proclivity is for your sexuality. You want to be heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, binary, cis this. Uh, You know, know, I get confused with all the, uh, the letters. Here you have the majority of the evangelical church. In fact, we know that the House of Representatives in the the, uh, United States government just passed a bill uh, with the Restore Marriage Equality Act that uh, repeals the Defense of Marriage Act. Uh, 47 Republicans voted with all the Democrats. It's now going to the Senate uh, to see if it gets passed, where they will then codify in United States federal law that homosexuality is good. That doesn't bode well for our nation. Then you have, as you saw on the uh, prophecy update, I had it in my presentation too, and we didn't compare notes, by the way. 
the World Health Organization declaring that sex is not limited to male and female. Social justice warriors would say in the church, I'm talking about in the church, listen, we just have to love people as they are. Have you heard that? Because remember, love your neighbor as yourself. So we got to love them as they are, not where they are, but as they are. We used to say, love someone where they are because that's where they are until they come to Christ, right? You know, you are where you are until you come to Christ and then the Holy Spirit begins to work in you to begin the sanctification process to turn you and put you on a new path, amen? Now we say, love them just as they are. That means that they want to stay the way they are. Ah, that's why many social justice churches, you can come and sit in the pews and you'll never, ever get convicted of any sin that is going on in your life because it's not about that. There was a social justice pastor, I won't say names, who recently said that the church isn't for believers. The church is for unbelievers. Because this is all about being seeker-driven, right? That's the whole seeker-driven, seeker-sensitive church movement. So Sunday mornings is all about welcoming the unbeliever. Well, if you're gonna welcome the unbeliever, you, you, why even bother preaching the word of God? Because you gotta dumb things down so low that there is, no, and then you wonder what happens to believers in that kind of church. You wonder why their worldview begins to, you know, get messed up. This is social justice, right? This is the representation of the United States military. This is our social justice. That's what social justice does. And the church is supporting this. The majority of churches are supporting this. This is biblical justice. Let me say that one more time. This is biblical justice. Remember, justice is the foundation of God's throne. God is justice. He can't change who he is. So if God declared marriage, as, first of all, if God de declared male and female, only two sexes, I don't care what the corrupt, crooked World Health Organization declares. They can declare till, till they're blue in the face. It shall not ever change what God has already declared to be so. Amen? Ever, ever, ever. It is a non-negotiable. It is not up for debate. It is not up for compromise. If you decide to compromise, you are compromised. God is not confused and God is not compromised. No, I'm not a bigot and I'm not narrow-minded for simply standing on what the word of God says. Don't make excuses. Don't justify yourself to, to these individuals within the church. Many who are now family members, brothers and sisters, moms and dads, our children, because God said, one man, one woman. And God said, marriage is only between one man and one woman. One man will become flesh with one woman and will be one in God's sight. That's biblical justice. Well, Sharam, what does that have to do with what's going on in the land? I just told you it has to do with going on in the land. They're, they're passing bill after bill after bill, wanting to murder babies and wanting to codify every perversion under the sun. 
if no one's crying out for justice, if no pastor gets up from the pulpit and teaches, if churches aren't standing up for it, then what voice in the land will cry out for justice? If we don't, we will go the way of Israel. We will go the way of Judah. We will be destroyed and we will be taken over by our enemies, which is exactly what's happening. This is social justice. Taking what God said is a promise and a judgment, a covenant and a judgment, and turning it into rebellion. This is biblical justice. The rainbow was set in the clouds and will be a sign of the covenant between God and the earth. We declare it as biblical justice. Don't make excuses for it. This is social justice. Pastors like Olstein and others walking with BLM. We're going to apologize from the pulpit for being white. We're going to say, forgive us for our white privilege, our white supremacy. How dare I even say anything to you, black person, because I'm a white person. How dare? This is the mentality. This is what social justice does to the brain. It makes your brain, it's like putting your brain in a blender. It mushes it up and you can't think straight. So we're going to go wear a mask and go walk with Black Lives Matter and say, this is biblical justice. No, 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 no. That's social justice. First of all, you're an ignorant fool because you don't know that Black Lives Matter is a communist entity that is, that is funded by China and the globalists. And secondly, that's unbiblical what you're doing. Because why? All lives matter. Amen? All lives matter to God. This is social justice, where someone says, not yet a human. Social justice says, remember, whatever the self wants, the self gets. You, 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 you just declare, I don't think this is a life. And you get to do what you want. Doesn't matter. Biblical justice says it's a life. Here we have a case that we had in, in Tennessee where uh, Vanderbilt University was, you know, you, you, you want biblical justice? We ought to have been fighting for this little boy, seven-month-old little baby that needed a heart transplant, but Vanderbilt University in, in Nashville, Tennessee, wouldn't let him have a heart transplant because he wasn't vaccinated. And the parents had to finally, they wanted him to have nine rounds of vaccinations all at once at seven months old on a ventilator with his health failing. He's still fighting for his life. That's biblical justice. We should be fighting for that. Here's biblical justice. Unborn lives matter. Amen? Unborn. Amen. Yeah, unborn lives matter. That's biblical justice. Well, we're not going to talk about these things from the pulpit because it's political. No, I just showed you it's biblical. Not political, it's biblical. If it's a biblical justice issue, every pulpit should be talking about it and addressing it from the word of God. Here's another example of this. This gal, uh, her name is Chelsea. She is the wife of this guy on the right here, uh, Judah Smith, who is a pastor up in Washington State one of the largest churches up there. He also pastors in California. He's good buddies with Carl Lenz from Hillsong. Uh, they both claim to be Justin Bieber's celebrity pastors. 
Because when you are about social justice, and social justice, remember, is about the self, and it's flesh-driven, then what happens is the church, and also if your rule is one command, love your neighbor as yourself, what that means is the church becomes licentious. The church then gives license to whatever is deemed as acceptable and tolerant because justice is based on what you want, not what God has declared. And so uh, Miss his wife was having this panel discussion with an open Marxist uh, football, a former football player and three black um, ladies who all had had abortions. This is right after Roe v. Wade. And she was asked the question about abortion. Where do you stand on abortion? She starts the session. You can go on YouTube and watch the video if you want. She starts the session by saying, I'm humbled. And I recognize that I'm, I'm the only white person among this black panel. Wow. I mean, this gal is smart, sharp, sharp. Thank you for pointing that out, Chelsea, because had you not pointed that out, I would have never figured out that you were the only white person among these black people. What does that matter to what you're going to say? You see, right off the bat, she's apologizing for her whiteness. Because she goes on to say that I recognize, she was trying to say, I'm humbled that I even have a voice. Thank you for even letting me speak as a white person. Because, you know, me white person, I should just stand in the corner and be able to shut my mouth. You see, it's reverse racism. It's not biblical justice, it's social justice. We've now taken racism against black people and now we've made it racism against white people. None of this is what God condones. So she was asked a question about, well, you know, as, as an evangelical, what's your view on, on Roe v. Wade? And she never answers the question. Here's what she says, though. She says, listen, I can tell you why I've been quiet, because the question was, how come your church, this mega, mega woke church in Seattle, Washington, that, that my wife, back when she was in Washington State, went to youth group there when they were solid, you know, 20-something years ago, I know many people who are young, her, her, their young children, their teens and their, you know, in their 20s, 30s are going to that church because it's the hipster church. Because that's what it's about, right? It's about the hipster church. Because I'm a pastor, if I wear jeans enough that are just tight enough that it's sucking the circulation out of my body, it's also sucking out any testosterone that I may have. So she says, I can tell you why I've been quiet. I feel very humbled. I don't know. Sometimes the fine line between humbled and humiliated. I'm a person who follows the teachings of Jesus. And one of those teachings says that we weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And at, in this moment, I feel completely humbled and do not know how to follow that teaching. It just seems impossible to be able to do that in this moment. And I'm embarrassed by some of the rejoicing at the cost of someone's pain. Because according to Miss Chelsea Smith, you can't, as Christians, we can't walk and chew gum at the same time. I can't say that abortion is murder and an absolute abomination and evil of God. But yet when someone gets pregnant, we have compassion for the mom. We can help that mom who may be in crisis. We can look at options for that mom. We can look at 
options like adoption or the uh, pregnancy resource centers and helping that mom through the pregnancy. It doesn't mean that the only option is I have to murder the baby. And then one of the black gals in the panel goes, look, here's the reality. You can be a Christian. You can love Jesus. You can have an abortion and still be a good person. So what happens is that social justice leads to this licentiousness where now the license is there. And first of all, again, she's got to apologize for her whiteness because, you know, how dare I even speak? I'm so humbled that I would even be allowed on this stage with you black people. As if that matters to God. What matters is what's spewing out of her mouth. What matters to God is the nonsense. So she's saying, I can't rejoice. I can't rejoice that Roe v. Wade was overturned. And now all of a sudden, 13 states ban abortion within 30 days, Tennessee being one of them. In about eight days, our trigger law goes into effect. All abortions are banned in the state of Tennessee other than for the exception of the life of the mother. So according to Chelsea, you can't rejoice with that because that's the woman's pain. We can't do both. We can't take care of moms in crisis and at the same time, Rejoice that we're murdering less babies? Insane, right? Insane. So when I ask the question, should churches be speaking or silent? Well, this is what matters. Right now is what matters. Right now, all these Christians saying, we want revival in America. We need revival, revival, revival. But if they don't speak on justice, there will be no revival. Because the two are absolutely linked. Because you cannot have revival and seek God's presence and holiness in our midst and then stand and be for what he is not for and declare good to be evil, evil to be good. You shall not distort distort justice in the book of Deuteronomy. You shall not show partiality. You shall not accept a bribe because a bribe, oh, but that's, that, that, that verse should be Hunter Biden, Hunter by the Biden, that, that should be uh, all about Biden because a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and distorts the words of the righteous. Justice and only justice you shall pursue so that you may live and possess the land which the Lord God is giving you. We should be pursuing justice and only justice in our communities. Now, that means that if I'm pursuing justice and only justice, again, the very first thing I'm doing is I'm declaring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God, none is perfect, none is righteous, none is holy, and that every person needs to bow their knee to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen? That's the first justice I have to be declaring. Don't compromise on that. Here in the book of Isaiah also. Therefore, justice is far from us, nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light, but there is darkness for brightness, but we walk in blackness. Here we go. A couple of final things here. Please understand that if we pray for revival, if we want revival, there's first got to be an awakening. When awakening comes, it should lead us back to God's standards. For example, if an awakening happens in my home, right? Let's say I need a miracle in my marriage or with my children. You know, that may be you. Well, therefore, if God 
God's presence comes and God wants to bring a, you go, Lord, I need revival in my family. I need revival in my marriage. I need a revival of my children. Therefore, that, that revival must be preceded by an awakening. You must be awakened to the things of God and his standard. Now, when you're awakened, by the way, again, first standard is what? Jesus. Gospel. Once you're awakened to that, because maybe the first thing that a husband or wife needs to do is they haven't given their life to Christ. So therefore, that's the very first thing they got to do to get right with God. Amen? Or maybe your, your child is wayward because they have not surrendered their life to Christ and they need to surrender their life to Christ. So we're praying for their salvation. So whatever the situation, but now as you pray, and if God is going to bring a revival, he's got to bring an awakening, that's going to begin to turn your home back to the standards of God. Otherwise, it is not revival. It's empty. Because revival isn't just emotions. We don't go to an amazing prayer service or a worship service, and it could be amazing in the moment, but if it's just emotional, and we leave there and there's not transformation, then you have not walked out God's justice. By the way, when revival comes, division comes. What? Come on. What is that about, Sharam? What does that mean? You're such a divisive pastor. When revival comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, when the truth comes, when justice comes, double-edged sword, it shall divide. Because the Father, when he brings justice, it divides. Starting with Jesus. When Jesus came into the world, it divided the world. Before Christ, after Christ. It divided the time. Literally time got divided. When Jesus comes into the world, according to Matthew 10, Luke 12, he didn't come to bring peace. But I thought that's what it was all about. We all have world peace. Do not assume that I have come to bring peace. The word there in the Greek, irene, to join together into a whole. Don't think that I've come to bring everybody into one nice, neat family. It's not what's going to happen. Don't think that I've come to bring the whole world together into one global community. That's why I always say globalism, not God. I have come not to bring peace, but a sword. What? And what does a sword represent? Is Jesus coming to kill everybody on the planet? Nope. That's Islam. That's the baby murderers who want abortion. That's the ones who want to be able to shoot up our children with these death shots at six months old. Jesus came to bring salvation, hope, turning back to God. But please understand that the sword represents what? The truth. What's the sword? The word. The word is what? Double-edged, right? Sharp. So when the sword comes, it divides. For I have come to turn a, ma- a man against his father, a daughter against her mother. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. That was me, folks. That's my personal testimony. When I became a Christian 23 years ago, my family disowned me. My dad disowned me. That was me. G- Jesus, literally, I'm the only person in my family that is saved, that I know of. So Jesus literally divided me from my family. Does it hurt? Absolutely. But is it necessary? Absolutely. Do I rejoice? Absolutely. Because he is worth following. 
Here in the parallel verse, Luke 12, I came to send fire on the earth and how I wish it was already kindled. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you not all at all, but rather division. For from now uh, on, five and one house will be divided, three against two, two against three. How come we don't ever preach these verses? Because Jesus, you know, it's all about love your neighbor. That's it. Just love one another. That's it. The golden rule. America is divided. Is it not? Is it getting more divided or less divided? More. After Roe v. Wade, it got more. It's very possible it could break up into pieces like other kingdoms have done. Other empires, right? They haven't lasted as long as America have been broken up into pieces. When, and what happened to Israel? Again, what's the, what's the example of that? When they did not pursue justice, what happened to them? They got split up. They divided into two. And then after that, they got broken into pieces. And not until our lifetime did they come back and become a nation again. That's remarkable, isn't it? From 586 B.C. till some say 1948. In my opinion, it was 1967 when they captured Jerusalem. They officially became a nation in, in the sight of God. That's two and a half thousand years that they remain divided. Boy, when God divides, he divides. Here's the map of the trigger states. Look at this. Look at what America looks like. In the red are the states that had trigger laws after Roe v. Wade. In the purple, or not purple, in the pinkish, peachish, whatever that color that is, uh, those are the states that potentially have the potential of becoming trigger or banning abortion. They're literally saying it's probably going to be 25, 25, 26, 24. Literally divided. Because you have the states in the West Coast, you have the states in the Northeast, you have uh, Colorado in the middle, uh, Illinois in there, that are going full board murdering children all out. So God is dividing. There's a godly division happening, folks. There's a godly division underway. Now, I, you pray, we pray that states like California, that the state can turn. But here's what matters to God. What are you guys going to do? What is Rock Harbor going to do? What is the Church of Jesus Christ going to do in the state of California? Are they going to cry out for justice? You can't control ultimately what your legislature does or your crooked governor does, but what matters is what you do. Because if God hears from you, your cry, then that can move the hand of God. But we're not going to have a revival if we're not praying for justice. I, I got I to finish here. I know I'm going over time. God's sword, a spiritual weapon, divides and severs. Good versus evil. Right? The Christ versus the Antichrist. Light versus darkness. The children of God and the children who belong to the devil, those who refuse to accept Christ. I would add one category. The awakened church versus the woke church. Biblical justice versus social justice. Because if you have justice in the land and you exercise justice, it's a joy for those who practice righteousness. But it's a terror for those who practice injustice. You see how clear that is? Do you see any middle ground? Remember I said last time I was here, I believe with all my heart, God is erasing the middle. The lukewarm is becoming a thing of the past. 
He's about to vomit those out, spew them out of his mouth. The dividing line is getting clearer by where we stand. If you can't figure out that abortion is murder and that we should be dead set against it and call it what it is and fight to end it, then you've already made a choice. If you can't figure out that marriage is between one man and one woman, you've already made a choice. If you can't figure out that God does not care about whether you're white or black or yellow or purple, but he cares about what's happening in your heart, your heart attitude and your decisions, then you're already decided. The time of decision, church. We have to decide, is there justice in the land? By the way, much is being exposed in regards to injustice and lawlessness, for example, with the elections, right? Anybody with half an eye, even one good eye, should be able to figure out by now that the 2020 elections were absolutely stolen, the most corrupt, crooked election in the history of this nation and in the history probably of the world. But is there justice in the land? January 6th. January 6th. I think it's very apropos to say that January 6th was, it has been used and planned by the deep state, by our government, to become like what happened in Nazi Germany with the Reichstag fire when they burned the parliament down and they blamed the communists and the Nazis, Hitler used that to be able to become a not only unelected leader, but then have full control of the military. I'm going to be talking about that tonight. You don't want to miss it. And maybe what we can do, Pastor, is maybe at the beginning, we'll take a minute and pray for that sister. We'll do that tonight as well. For those who come here, we'll make sure we pray for her. We have to be able to understand. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of good documentaries that have come out about it. Here's one that I would recommend that I watch called Bloody Hill. Just go to, I, the website is literally bloodyhill.com and go and watch this hour and a half documentary. It is one of many that are coming out about the truth of January 6th. And yet right now we have patriots and Christians who are sitting in prison with no due process, with no legal counsel, denied rights, denied visitation, facing 30 years plus in prison for a misdemeanor uh, trespassing charge. Uh, they had uh, SWAT team, FBI, DEA, uh, uh, knock down their doors in the middle of the night, early in the morning to arrest them. Yet the crooks are out in front. Actually, the crooks are the ones who are leading the show trial. It should be obvious to anybody that watches it. Yet I was walking through the airport yesterday and all you see on CNN, right, is the January say, uh, Mr. Chairman, this was the, 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 the most, the, whole, the, the worst insurrection in human history. If we wanted to create an insurrection, I was there on January 6th, we would have torn down the Capitol building. If, if, if one and a half million uh, Americans, Christians, and Trump supporters, we, if we wanted to truly take over the Capitol, we would have taken over the Capitol. The fact is, is that it was a setup. And I'll show you tonight what they're trying to do to cover that up. Is there justice in the land for these people that are sitting in prison right now? For, for, for many of them walking into the Capitol thinking that they were going on a tour, the doors were open. Is there justice in the land? So I'll end with this. God is putting things in divine order, folks. 
brothers and sisters. He's doing his work. God will establish his justice. Amen. Even among a remnant or a remnant of a remnant. Even if there's one, five or ten like in Sodom. Even if there's ten, God will execute his judgment. Remember, he saved the ten. Or he saved, I didn't say the ten, but he saved the family of Lot minus wife. But he did not spare Sodom and Gomorrah. And he will not spare our land unless we uplift, cry out, exalt biblical justice. He's putting things in divine order. So uh, please come tonight, six o'clock, for the Great Pushback Part 2. We're going to also be talking about, again, more of the concept of consecration for revival. If we, want to, if we want revival, if we know we have to have revival in this nation, and I don't mean politically, I mean spiritually in our homes, in our marriages, with our children, in our churches, that's where it begins, then that revival must be led by our cry for his justice. And we're also going to be talking about uh, building uh, alternative systems, marketplace communications, lots of things. We'll talk about that tonight again at six o'clock. Please come. Uh, your committees here will have a little bit of a quick update for you tonight. I'm excited for what God's doing to prepare Rock Harbor for the days ahead. You know and I know we're in the last hours and what they're planning for us is sinister and evil. But I'm in my, with all my conviction, I earnestly believe that God is saying this, this is not yet my time. These things must happen. We know they must happen, but I don't believe it's yet his time for these things to happen. So that convicts me to say there's time, there's a pushback, but only if we, his people, will stand and not only uh, speak, but live out his justice. Reject biblical justice, reject the woke churches, call them out, speak out against them, pray against them. You heard me. Pray against them. It's time we go back to imprecatory prayers. God expose. God tear down. God, you know, we, we have this thing. Well, I shouldn't speak ill of a brother. Is it speaking ill of a brother or sister if we call out blatant sin and an unbiblical practice? This, I'm talking about publicly, someone who's already public. I'm not talking about private sin. We're talking about that when these church leaders are walking around parading themselves as the woke, apologizing to the world for being white or being this or being that, we ought to call those things out. But the best way for us to do that is to actually live out the opposite. Amen. So here you guys are at Rock Harbor, your pastor, your leadership. They are for biblical justice. So you need to support that, stand with them, and together be a voice here in Bakersfield, California. Yes, in the state of California. I know as California goes, it seems like the nation goes. How about California begins to go the other way? Amen? How about you guys start right here in Bakersfield going the opposite direction? So I thank you for this morning. Join us again tonight. Uh, but may we stand for justice in the land. And it all starts with the gospel. Amen. So thank you guys. God bless. And pastor, I'll turn it back to you. I'll see you guys later.